God is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Professor Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we commemorate Saint Basil the Great. Saint Basil the Great was Bishop of Caesarea around the 4th century and one of the most important theologians in the Christian Church. In the West, he is known as one of the doctors of the Church, and in the East, he is known as one of the three holy hierarchs. Together with St. John Chrysostom and St. Gregory Nazianzus, both of whom have been covered in previous episodes of this podcast. St. Basil the Great was particularly influential in developing Christian understanding of the Holy Trinity. Let us read an account of his life from the website of the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America. St. Basil the Great was born about the year 329 in Caesarea of Cappadocia to a family renowned for their learning and holiness. His parents' name were Basil and Emily. His mother, Emily, and his grandmother, Macrina, are saints of the church, together with all his brothers and sisters. Macrina, his elder sister, Gregory of Nyssa, Peter of Sebastia, and Nocratius. Basil studied in Constantinople, under the Sophist Libanus, then in Athens, where also he formed a friendship with the young Gregory, a fellow Cappadocian, later called the Theologian. This is St. Gregory Nazianzus. Through the good influence of his sister Macrina, he chose to embrace the ascetical life, abandoning his worldly career. He visited the monks in Egypt, in Palestine, in Syria, and in Mesopotamia, and upon returning to Caesarea, he departed to a hermitage on the Iris River in Pontus, not far from Anassi, where his mother and his sister Macrina were already treading the path of the ascetical life. Here he also wrote his ascetical homilies. About the year 370, when the bishop of his country reposed, he was elected to succeed to his throne and was entrusted with the Church of Christ, which he attended for eight years, living in voluntary poverty and strict asceticism, having no other care than to defend holy orthodoxy as a worthy successor to the apostles. The emperor Valens and Modestus, the eparch of the East, who were of one mind with the Arians, tried with threats of exile and of torments to bend the saint to their own confession, 
because he was the bastion of orthodoxy in all Cappadocia, and preserved it from heresy when Arianism was at its strongest. But he set all their malice at naught, and in his willingness to give himself up to every suffering for the sake of the faith, showed himself to be a martyr by volition. Modestus, amazed at Basil's fearlessness in his presence, said that no one had ever so spoken to him. Perhaps, answered the saint, you have never met a bishop before. The emperor Valens himself was almost won over by Basil's dignity and wisdom. When Valens's son fell gravely sick, he asked Saint Basil to pray for him. The saint promised that his son would be restored if Valens agreed to have him baptized by the Orthodox. Valens agreed. Basil prayed and the son was restored. But afterwards, the emperor had him baptized by Arians, and the child died soon after. Later, Valens, persuaded by his counsellors, decided to send the saint into exile, because he would not accept the Arians into communion. But his pen broke when he was signing the Edict of Banishment. He tried a second time and a third, but the same thing happened, so that the emperor was filled with dread and tore up the document, and Basil was not banished. The truly great Basil, spent with extreme ascetical practices and continual labours at the helm of the church, departed to the Lord on the 1st of January in 379, at the age of 49. His writings are replete with wisdom and erudition, and rich are these gifts he set forth in the doctrines concerning the mysteries both of the creation and of the Holy Trinity. Because of the majesty and keenness of his eloquence, he is honoured as the revealer of heavenly things and as Basil the Great. St. Basil the Great was a close friend to St. Gregory Nazianzus, or also known as St. Gregory the Theologian, as they studied together in Athens. Let us read an account by St. Gregory Nazianzus regarding his friendship with St. Basil the Great. This is from the Roman Catholic Church's Office of Readings on St. Basil's Feast Day on January the 2nd. Basil and I were both in Athens. We had come, like streams of a river, from the same source in our native land, had separated from each other in pursuit of learning, and were now united again, as if by plan, for God so arranged it. I was not alone at the time in my regard for my friend, the great Basil. I knew his irreproachable conduct, and the maturity and wisdom of his conversation. I sought to persuade others, to whom he was less well known, to have the same regard for him. Many fell immediately under his spell, for they had already heard of him by reputation and hearsay. What was the outcome? 
Almost alone of those who had come to Athens to study, he was exempted from the customary ceremonies of initiation. He was held in higher honor than his status as a first-year student seemed to warrant. Such was the prelude to our friendship, the kindling of that flame that was to bind us together. In this way, we began to feel affection for each other. When, in the course of time, we acknowledged our friendship and recognized that our ambition was a life of true wisdom, we became everything to each other. We shared the same lodging, the same table, the same desires, the same goal. Our love for each other grew daily warmer and deeper. The same hope inspired us: the pursuit of learning. This is an ambition, especially subject to envy. Yet between us, there was no envy. On the contrary, we made capital out of our rivalry. Our rivalry consisted not in seeking the first place of oneself, but in yielding it to the other, for we each looked on the other's success as his own. We seem to be two bodies with a single spirit, though we cannot believe those who claim that everything is contained in everything. Yet you must believe that in our case, each of us was in the other, and with the other. Our single object and ambition was virtue, and a life of hope in the blessings that are to come. We wanted to withdraw from this world before we departed from it. With this end in view. We ordered our lives and all our actions. We followed the guidance of God's law, and spurred each other on to virtue. It is not too boastful to say, we found in each other a standard and rule for discerning right from wrong. Different men have different names, which they owe to their parents or to themselves, that is, to their own pursuits and achievements. But our great pursuit, the great name we wanted, was to be Christians. To be called Christians. Let us now read from some of Saint Basil's writings and homilies. I have chosen one passage that is rather abstract theology, and another passage that is very practical. To demonstrate the breadth of Saint Basil's works, the first passage is from a treatise he wrote about the Holy Spirit. Basil lived at a time where there was a lot of confusion about how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit related to each other, and a time when a lot of heresies were emerging, which downplayed the Holy Spirit. Thus, this treatise was written. To develop the theology of the Holy Spirit as being co-equal with the Father and the Son, the chapter we will read is titled "Establishment of the Natural Communion of the Spirit from His Being, Equally with the Father and the Son, Unapproachable in Thought." Moreover, the surpassing excellence of the nature of the Spirit. Is to be learned not only from his having the same title as the Father and the Son, and sharing in their operations, but also from his being like the Father and the Son, unapproachable in thought. For what our Lord says of the Father, as being above and beyond human conception, 
and what he says of the Son, this same language he uses also of the Holy Ghost. O righteous Father, he says, the world has not known you, in John chapter 17 verse 25. Meaning here, by the world, not the complex whole compounded of heaven and earth, but this life of ours subject to death, and exposed to innumerable vicissitudes. And when discoursing of himself, he says, Yet a little while, and the world sees me no more, but you see me. In John chapter 14 verse 19. Again in this passage, applying the word world to those who are being bound down by this material and carnal life, and beholding the truth by material sight alone, were ordained through their unbelief in the resurrection to see our Lord no more with the eyes of the heart. And he said the same concerning the Spirit. The Spirit of truth, he says, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. This is John chapter 14, verse 17. For the carnal man, who has never trained his mind to contemplation, but rather keeps it buried deep in lusts of the flesh, as in mud, is powerless to look up to the spiritual light of the truth. And so the world, that is life and slave by the affections of the flesh, can no more receive the grace of the Spirit than a weak eye the light of a sunbeam. But the Lord, who by his teaching bore witness to purity of life, gives to his disciple the power of now both beholding and contemplating the Spirit. For now, he says, you are clean, though the, through the word which I have spoken unto you. John chapter 15 verse 3 Wherefore the world cannot receive him, because it sees him not. But you know him, for he dwells with you. This is John chapter 14 verse 17. And so says Isaiah, He that spread forth the earth, and that which comes out of it, he that gives breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that trample on it. For they that trample down earthly things, and rise above them, are borne witness to as worthy of the gift of the Holy Ghost. What then ought to be thought of him, whom the world cannot receive, and whom saints alone can contemplate through pureness of heart? What kind of honours can be deemed adequate to him? Now, let us read from Basil's works a passage of a more practical nature. St. Basil had a deep concern for the poor. In his city of Caesarea, he established an institute called the Basiliad, which served as hospital for the sick, accommodations for the homeless, and training for the jobless. We will read a passage from one of his homilies, a homily to the rich, chastising the wealthy for their stinginess toward the poor. Now, you are obviously very far from having observed one commandment at least, and you falsely swore that you had kept it, namely that you loved your neighbour as yourself. 
For see, the Lord's commandment proves you to be utterly lacking in real love. For if what you've claimed were true, that you have kept from your youth the commandment of love, and have given to each person as much as to yourself, how has it come to you, this abundance of money? For it takes wealth to care for the needy, a little paid out for the necessity of each person you take on, and all at once everything gets parceled out and is spent upon them. Thus the man who loves his neighbor as himself will have acquired no more than what his neighbor has, whereas you, visibly, have acquired a lot. Where has this come from? Or is it not clear that it comes from making your private enjoyment more important than helping other people? Therefore, however much you exceed in wealth, so much so do you fall short in love. Else long since you'd have taken care to be divorced from your money if you had loved your neighbor. But now your money sticks to you closer than the limbs of your body, and he who would separate you from it grieves you more than someone who would cut off your vital parts. For if you had clothed the naked, if you had given your bread to the hungry, if you had opened your doors to every stranger, if you had become a father to orphans, if you had suffered together with all the powerless, what possessions would now be causing you despondency? Why should you now be upset to put aside what's left, when you'd long since have taken care to distribute these things to the needy? Now on a market day, no one is sorry to barter his goods and get in return such things as he has need of. But to the extent that he purchases things of greater value, with what is cheaper he rejoices, having gotten a better deal than his trading partner. But you, by contrast, mourn, in giving gold and silver and goods, that is, offering stones and dust, in order to obtain the blessed life. But how do you make use of money? By dressing in expensive clothing? Won't two yards of tunic suffice you? And the covering of one coat satisfy all your need of clothes? But is it for food's sake that you have such a demand for wealth? One bread loaf is enough to fill a belly. Why are you sad then? What have you been deprived of? The status that comes from wealth. But if you stop seeking earthly status, you should then find the true resplendent kind that would conduct you into the kingdom of heaven. But what you love is simply to possess wealth, even if you derive no help from it. Now everyone knows that an obsession for useless things is mindless. Just so, what I am going to say should seem to you no greater paradox, and it is utterly, absolutely true. When wealth is dispersed in the way the Lord advises, it naturally stays put. But when held back, it is transferred to another, if you hoard it, you won't keep it. If you scatter, you won't lose. For, says the scripture, he has dispersed, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. In Psalm 112 verse 9. St. Basil the Great is one of the most celebrated saints of the Christian faith.
Other than his writings and his influence as bishop, he is also known for establishing monastic communities and for writing liturgies. The Divine Liturgy of St. Basil, which is traditionally given during Lent in Eastern churches, is attributed to him. St. Basil's feast day is on the 1st of January in the Eastern Church, and on the 2nd of January in the Western Church. He is also commemorated on the day celebrating the three holy hierarchs on January the 30th. Thank you for listening to the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook or Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use so more people can find the Christian Saints podcast and be blessed by these stories of God's saints. Let us end by reading the Eastern Orthodox Troparion and Kontakion for St. Basil the Great. Your proclamation has gone out into all the earth, which was divinely taught by hearing your voice, expounding the nature of creatures, ennobling the matters of men. O Holy Father of a royal priesthood, entreat Christ God that our souls may be saved. You were revealed as the sure foundation of the Church, granting all mankind a lordship which cannot be taken away sealing it with your precepts, O Venerable and Heavenly Father Basil.